0: Pastor Xavier Reese and the power and simple truths of resisting temptation.
1: When I understand that Jesus went through every testing as I am, and that he overcame the enemy as a man by prayer, the spirit of God, and the word of God, it will cause me to resist and to fight against sin a lot more diligent than I do now, because I literally have no excuse.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Prophecies of His Coming, born of a virgin, announced by angels. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, didn't arrive to earth in any average way. However, getting baptized in the Jordan River and tempted by Satan are examples of the life of the Savior that we can identify with in His humanity. And in a simple truth study drawn from Mark chapter 1, Pastor Xavier describes some intriguing and specific reasons that Jesus chose to identify with man in this way. Let's listen.
1: Mark chapter 1 verse 9 through 15. Mark says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. Now after John was put in prison... Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Have you ever known someone who seemingly had all the comforts of life and left them all to go to some obscure and hostile country because he said God told him to? Such is the picture of men and women of God throughout the history of man when God has spoken to them and yet it doesn't make sense to anybody else. These men and women are an enigma to the human race. And yet this is exactly the picture that Mark gives to us of Jesus Christ. How he left heaven to come to this world. It doesn't make sense, if you think about it. He's God. He's existed from all eternity. He has worshipped and served, hand and foot, in heaven. And yet, he willingly left heaven to come to this earth, this world which is hostile, and he came to serve. What an awesome picture Mark gives to us. The servant of Jehovah is the picture that Mark provides for us in his gospel. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Mark, in these verses from verse 9 to 15, provides for us certain reasons for Jesus coming to the world. The first thing we see is that Jesus came to be identified with sinful man in verses 9 through 11. We see him coming from Nazareth of Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan. The baptism of John was a baptism of repentance that identified one with the forgiveness of sins to come. Not the actual forgiveness. We need to understand that sometimes we lose sight of John's baptism. In verse 4 of chapter 1 there, John says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Some of your translation may have, because the old King James, or literally in the Greek speaks, unto. In other words, it was a baptism that was looking towards future forgiveness. The baptism in itself was not giving forgiveness of sins. That's important. It was an identification. And that's what baptism is. When you go out in the water, you're identifying with Jesus Christ, the life of Christ, the gospel of Christ. And you're saying you're being one with him. You're in agreement with the gospel. Notice that Jesus came out of Nazareth of Galilee. An obscure and insignificant place to identify with sinful man. Nathaniel said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I'm always amazed that God always chooses insignificant people to work through. And He uses insignificant places to work. And when God chooses that combination of people and places, no one can say, you cannot work, God. And yet when we look at God working and we see a work of God which is genuine... We are so quick trying to examine, why is it working? What is happening? And so we look to the pastor's message, and, and, and we, we say, well, what's he doing? I mean, is he a real great teacher? And we try to look at that, and then we look at the facilities, and we say, well, you know, they are new, and it must be the red carpet, it must be the green carpet, or, you know, must be the uh, zebra color pews, or I mean, man always wants to look for the formula to find out why it is that God is working when it really teaches us that when God says, I'm going to work, He works in spite of man. Now, the church, the people, the strategy is all part of it, but it doesn't happen because of that. God works because He desires to reach lost man. And so Jesus came to identify himself with sinful men, and yet himself was without sin. You see, the baptism, as it says there by John in verse 4, was looking forward to the forgiveness of sins. And yet Jesus comes, and he doesn't have any sin, he's God. Then why was he being baptized? Because he was being identified with sinful men. He was saying, I do identify that man is sinful and he needs forgiveness. And I identify that I'm the one that's going to take that sin. But I look forward to that forgiveness. For the scriptures declare that God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Even John said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world in John 1.29. And so, any endeavor to try to identify water baptism as the means for forgiveness of sins is ludicrous. When we are baptized in water, we are baptized as a public confession of what already has happened in our heart. For water baptism was not a strange thing among the Jews. For many Gentiles proselyted into the Jewish faith and they would have to be baptized. But what was strange was that John was requiring Jews to be baptized. That was unheard of. And the scriptures tell us as we read the Gospels that they all came out to John. God brought them. It was God's movement at that time. It wasn't the work of man. It was the work of God. They didn't need any spiritual cheerleaders on the Jordan banks. God's Spirit brought them because John was faithful to preach the word that he was commissioned. Oh, that God would teach every one of us that, that if we are faithful to preach and to teach the word, God's Spirit will move in the hearts of people and do a genuine, pure work apart from the contamination of sinful man. It's a work of God. John, when he looked at Jesus, Matthew tells us that he looked upon him and says, You need to baptize me. But Jesus says, John, you must needs do it to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was identifying himself with sinful man. Man, talk about love. God holy, undefiled, separate from sinners, condescend to sinful man. The baptism of John was to identify Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. You remember that when John was sent on his mission, the Gospel of John tells us in chapter 1, verse 33 and 34, that there was a sign that John was to look out for in his ministry of preaching and baptizing. And it was when he would baptize a certain individual, which was to be the Messiah, the Son of God, he would know him as the Spirit of God would descend upon him. He would have no chance of mistaking the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he says there in verse 10, Immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting, literally renting open, and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. As John the Baptist baptized his cousin, (laughs) I am sure that he blew his mind. And yet, as the Spirit descended, there was no doubt in John's heart nor mind that he was the Messiah. For the sign was very clear. He would be the one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit in fire, even as Mark says here in verse 7 and 8, distinct from Him. He baptized in water, but Jesus the Messiah would baptize with the Holy Spirit. Make sure you understand that. They're two separate and distinct baptisms. In water baptism, you are baptized into the water, immersed underwater. In the baptism of the Holy Spirit... You are endued with power from on high for witnessing. Acts 1.8. Big difference. One is an identification. The other one is an infilling. The baptism of John was confirmed by the Father also in verse 11. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We can find these words in Psalm 2, 7. In Proverbs 8.30 In Proverbs 8.30 we see the personification of wisdom as a person crying out to the young and simple that they receive him and not ruin their lives. In Psalm 2 we see the Son of God returning in glory and power to establish the kingdom as he laughs at those who are gathered in the valley of Megiddo to thwart the purposes of God and he will laugh at them and have them in derision and destroy them. And so Jesus came to identify himself with sinful men. Now as you are water baptized, your water baptism should always follow your new birth in Christ. Accept him as Lord and Savior. And then your water baptism will only be a public confession of what already has happened in your heart. You're saved. You're born again. You've embraced and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. The water is an identification even as 1 Peter 3, 19 through 21 tells us. That it is a type, even as a type of the Noah flood. Noah and eight of his family total were saved. That he was saved is the evidence that he believed the message. That you are water baptized is the evidence you believe the message. Noah wasn't saved because he was in the boat. Directly. Noah was saved because he believed the message and got in the boat. You're not saved because you've been water baptized. But you've been water baptized because you have been saved. There's a vast difference. And so we need to understand what water baptism is to us as Christians. But Mark also tells us that Jesus came to defeat Satan as a man in verses 12 and 13. And immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. The word immediately is a key word for Mark's gospel. You find it 30 sometimes over and over and over again. Mark reminds me of a little kid who, is, who you're asking questions to, and he's telling you a story, and he says, and we went to the store, and we went, and, 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 and it's just a very fast-moving gospel. And he just wants to get it out. And he gives you these fast shots of Jesus in action. Immediately. As he was baptized, immediately as the Father identified him as a Messiah, as the one who would baptize with the Spirit, as the one who would die for the world, the Spirit of God drove him into the wilderness. 1 John 3 8 says that the Son came into the world to destroy the works of the enemy, Satan, the devil. Notice there in verse 12 that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you and I are born unto testing. The minute you're born again, you are called to a life of testings and trials. Sometimes we think that the Christian life is a life of total perfection. Absence of difficulties. I don't know what Bible some people are reading. I don't get that anywhere from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit because the first Adam had failed back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. And because he failed, death and sin passed to all men, Romans 5.12 tells us. So Jesus came as the last Adam to declare and to prove that the first Adam didn't have to fail. As we look at the first Adam in Genesis, we see that God put him in the garden and he gave him certain requirements, certain conditions, certain rules. God accompanied those rules and conditions by the ability to fulfill them. God never asks of you or myself anything, but first He gives us the means by which to fulfill it. If not, God would be unjust and unfair. And as Jesus came as the last Adam, He came to declare and to show that the first Adam had the potential and the capacity not to fail but he blew it. But secondly and most important, that now the last Adam, Jesus Christ, would confront Satan, the enemy, and he would not fail. Because he was perfect man. In the same state, in the same position as the first Adam. Identical. And yet, As we look at all four Gospels, Luke tells us that Jesus was praying before his baptism. That's his first weapon. Then he went in the water, he came up, and the Holy Spirit of God descended upon him. That's a second weapon. And then the Spirit of God drove him. The word that is used here is the same that is used in Mark's Gospel to cast out demons. He drove him into the wilderness. And the other Gospels tells us that he withstood the enemy with the Word of God. There's his third weapon. Prayer, the filling of the Spirit, and the Word of God. That was the way Jesus defeated the enemy. You say, no, 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 he was God. That's why he defeated him. No, he didn't. Look at Matthew 4, Luke 4. And Satan said, since you're the son of God, the word if in the old King James literally should be translated since. He was affirming that he was God. The very testings were to have Jesus use his godly powers to turn stones into bread. But yet Jesus, man, should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus defeated Satan as man, not as God. For certainly, for God to defeat Satan is no big deal. Satan is not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-present. He's an angel fallen. The mission was for man to defeat him so that man, the first Adam, could be redeemed by the last Adam, Jesus Christ. Now, if Jesus was truly tempted and tested, we have to recognize that he went through the very same trials and testings that you and I go through. Because if he didn't, then there could be no real victory because there was no real testing. For there to be a real victory... There had to be a real testing. And yet, he was without sin. He was in the very same position and place as the first Adam. The book of Hebrews confirms this. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. The author there says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, Let us hold fast our confession. Verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot be uh, sympathized with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Make sure you mark that well. He was tempted in all points as you and I are. That means that Jesus went through testings, In the same way, in the same intensity, in the same sphere that you and I go through. And he did it as man, depending on God. Philippians 2 says he emptied himself of his glory, not his deity. Colossians tells us that in him, while being 100% man, he was 100% God. And yet being 100% God, he never used His power is God apart from dependency upon the Father as we have to to demonstrate to you and to me that I have no excuse for failure. Awesome when you look at it that way. Now, am I preaching perfection? Never. (laughs) And I don't find perfect people in the Bible. But when I understand that Jesus went through every testing as I am, and that he overcame the enemy as a man by prayer, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God, then that means that I can do the very same thing in the person of Jesus Christ. And when I understand that, it will cost me to resist and to fight against sin a lot more diligent than I do now, because I literally have no excuse. Now often we say well you don't understand my problem you don't understand my testing and and how intense it gets. Let me illuminate you in something. Jesus resisted the temptation to the max becoming victorious. You and I resist far short of the max. And we still think it's difficult. The only way you can ever know the full power of something that is working against you is if you give every ounce of energy to resist it then you are eligible to tell me how strong that force is against you but if you just give in short of the maximum resistance you will never know the full power against you Jesus resisted the maximum, and therefore he knows every trial that you and I go through, and therefore he's a sympathetic high priest. And so Jesus came to destroy the works of Satan, as man, not as God.
0: Pastor Xavier Reese, offering encouragement and the weapons God issues for battling and resisting temptation modeled by none other than the Son of God, Jesus. Now, there's much more to this study to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy of this message, and the title you want to ask for is simply, Why Did Jesus Come? It's available on CD for only $4, and this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. So once again, the title to ask for is, Why Did Jesus Come? Or simply mention today's date.